0: And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Oh, hi, I didn't see you there. Welcome to the show. Before we get started, I urge you to go to our Patreon page at show.com right now and sign up for our $10 a month level to get both the Shadow Docket bonus show and our Friday after-party shows with me and Kimberly Johnson. Specifically, if you want to hear what it sounds like when I totally lose my schmadoinkle, the after-party from Friday, October 8th is the place to be. Again, that's bobseskashow.com or patreon.com slash bobseskashow. Choose the after-party and Shadow Docket level, enter your information, and you're all set. By the way, there's an app for listening and an RSS feed if you're into those things too. Thanks so much for supporting this podcast and now let the cartoons begin.
1: The Bob
0: Seska Show. Bob Seska. I protest. I am not a merry man. The Bob Seska Show. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, October 13, 2021, and this is the interview edition of the Bob Seska Show on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. Hi, how you doing? My name is Bob. Hello, Bob. Hello, day 267 of the Biden-Harris administration, 392 days until the 22 midterms. Find me on Instagram, as usual, at TheBobSeska, and on Twitter at Bob BobSeska underscore go. So I had an amazing chat with my friend Ben Cohen today, and we'll have that for you here in just a second. Ben, of course, is the publisher of the Banter newsletter, thebanter.substack.com, where I write a weekly column every Thursday, full disclosure, and Ben's the former publisher of The Daily Banter, the political opinion site Ches and I wrote for her back in the day. Uh, ben and I have been working together since, uh, oh my God, since the 2000s? and he supported my writing career more than just about anyone else I know. So today we talked about the fuckery at Facebook, how online publications can navigate all the insanity in politics these days. Oh, and by the way, stick around for the part where we talk about Ben's experiences with psychedelics. Meantime, if you can, please help support this show by subscribing to our bonus content at bobseskashow.com. Okay, here comes me and the great Ben Cohen. So how far along is, uh, is Betsy? Is she doing well? Everything's going, uh, smoothly?
1: Yeah. Um, she, she, everything seems to be okay. We're eight months in, okay. almost to the day. In fact, it's eight months today. So wow. We've got four, four weeks left. We're just trying to <laughs> just scramble to get the house ready. Yeah. Um, you know, for, for everything, like build a, make a bedroom and, <laughs> blah blah blah. So we're all behind, and Moses has decided that he's not letting, not going to let us sleep um, <laughs> at, <laughs> Moses, all, yeah. at all. yeah, yeah. He's he's been a bit better for the last couple of days, but but <clears throat> so finally <clears throat> we both feel like we can actually get some stuff done. But it's like a bit of a last minute scramble.
0: Why isn't he letting you guys sleep? Is he, is that a protest? Is he interrupting your sleep because he doesn't want a uh, brother or sister coming along?
1: He seems to be excited about it. Like oh, he good. does seem about but I think he knows something's about to change and he's also started Montessori so you know that's kind of like it's a big change it's a big thing for him yeah, you know so yeah. so, so uh, you know kids are weird you know kids are like you know he's getting he has dreams you know he thinks they are like he thinks there are for a while he's thinking there were penguins in his room that were coming out of <laughs> the cupboard
0: oh, man. <laughs> really penguins? <laughs>
1: Yeah, penguins in the cupboards. Um, you know, I had to have to had long chats with them about shadows. That shadows are just a bit. You know how what a shadow it is, and that it's just light.
0: Oh my um, god!
1: You know, <laughs> this kind of stuff. It's like.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, I, obviously, I mention this all the time, but one of my favorite things on social media are your videos with Moses, where you're talking to Moses and he's just communicating something to you, or you're just evaluating what trouble he's gotten into. Like, I think of uh, the time he had hummus in his hair. <laughs> you're asking him about the hummus, and then he tore apart that big uh, hunk of styrofoam. And uh yeah. Thought, well, I guess he yeah. thought it was snow or something like that. It just your commentary with his just utter cuteness is so goddamn entertaining, Ben.
1: <laughs> well, I'm glad I'm glad that other people find it entertaining. We <laughs> we often don't when he's pulled all the dirt out of the plant pots and <laughs> it all over the floor. Mm. Uh, and looks up as if like what what I haven't done anything, <laughs> like, yeah. Thanks, thanks for doing this at six in the morning we really appreciate
0: it oh my god though no. i talk about a kid though who is tailor-made for social media i mean that guy <laughs> i'm saying that guy that guy guy's so yeah, like no. a, a buddy from the pub right <laughs> that, that that kid is just is so photogenic uh we have a new one we haven't
1: we have a we have a new one coming as well so hopefully that'll that you know we can provide more entertainment we haven't really done we haven't put much of moses on Social media recently, but yeah. um, I, who knows? I think just because we've been sleep
0: deprived—yeah,
1: yeah um, any yeah. sleep for a month.
0: Well, what what happened yeah. between you and Instagram? There was some sort of uh, dust up between you were posting these videos, and then Instagram was what taking them down or something? What was going on with the Moses videos?
1: I don't know. I don't know whether it was banter related or or something. I had went after someone in you know. I actually. I have a conspiratorial theory on this that I went after someone um, who's quite a kind of like sh- mover and shaker in the new age um, supplement wellness world yeah um, guy, I wrote a big piece and I don't know if you remember that piece I went after a guy he, he you know he's one of Joe Rogan's friends and that's oh, a big right. yeah. supplement empire. And uh, he'd been posting conspiracy theories and uh, anti-vax stuff. I went after him. And interestingly, like a couple of days later, he blocked me on Instagram. And then all of a sudden I got banned from Instagram.
0: Oh my God. So do you think maybe he reported you or something? Or was this separate? I mean, did you ever get to the bottom of why exactly <laughs> you were banned from Instagram?
1: I don't know. I couldn't find out. I, I suspect my... my conspiracy theory is that he is like maybe he knows someone at Facebook or Instagram and he had them take me down I don't know I, that, that, it, it was weird that, that there you know the, the, it was a series of events it seemed like a kind of I don't know if it was a coincidence or not but I the timing was a little suspicious that the, this guy blocked me then like a day later I get taken off of Instagram
0: yeah yeah
1: So, you know, I I, was that. I don't know. Who knows? Um, But I managed to get, so I managed to get a contact. So I have a contact at Facebook through a friend Mm -hmm. and they got me, they got me reinstated. Someone, someone works, someone, someone I could get hold of, someone who works at the Death Star. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. That seems to be the only avenue of recourse if you're kicked off of Facebook or, completely banned from facebook i mean certainly it's one thing to be banned for 30 days and to come back but a lot of people are kicked off permanently and there's really no one to talk to no one to protest to unless you happen to know someone and that's one of the many frustrations about dealing with that that platform and it keeps getting worse and worse doesn't it
1: yeah no i i think they need to um, regulate like your piece your piece the other week was the, they need to be very, very strictly regulated. It's too, yeah. too big, too powerful, too opaque. You know, yeah. there's there's the way of, uh, of holding them accountable. I mean, yeah, it was literally just by luck that I managed to get myself reinstated.
0: Right, right. And you know what? I think there's a new push going on. There's been some mention recently about uh, regulating the algorithm specifically. In fact, there was a piece on MSN today, and the headline was, Lawmakers' Latest Idea to Fix Facebook, Regulate the Algorithm, which I think is a phenomenal idea. That's the source, I think, of all of our headaches, right? I think that's the, the centerpiece of it.
1: Yeah, regulate the algorithm. Because, I mean, that's what took us down. They took, they they took We went down because of the algorithm. The, they tweaked the algorithm. We had no say over, over it. We got no... Say over this whatsoever. No consultation, no forewarning, just all of a sudden 80% of your traffic gone.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it seems like uh, nearly every time there's a new revelation about Zuckerberg and Facebook, I think about how the daily banter has been screwed by that goddamn algorithm. I mean, as a publisher of a political website and now a political newsletter, it must be uh, especially infuriating to watch as Facebook cuts off the blood supply of traffic to the banter over the years. It's happened numerous times. I mean, I go all the way back to 2013 when it when I first noticed it happening. As we used to post, I mean, those of you who uh, are unaware, by way of background, we would post something on the Daily Banter and uh, cross-promote it on Facebook, and Facebook alone would generate hundreds of thousands of views to that piece. I mean, incoming traffic to the dailybanter.com from Facebook. And then suddenly it was in the fall of 2013, somewhere around there. I remember specifically, it was like someone turned off the power. It just stopped. And I think it was a change in the algorithm, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, definitely. It definitely was. I mean, we used to get um, shared by, you know, Bill Maher used to read our stuff and he used yeah. to share it on Facebook. He used to crash the site. <laughs> we were going down because Bill Maher would share something and, you know, a million people would come on the site. But now I'm pretty certain that Bill Maher doesn't get to see any of our stuff in his newsfeed. Right. Because the algorithm has changed and therefore we don't show up and, you know, he doesn't share it. And and even if he did, if he did share it, You know, these days it wouldn't really do that much. Yeah, it it, it would have little little effect. Our Facebook page has barely grown Mm -hmm. in 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 four years. It hasn't really grown at all.
0: Yep, I know exactly where you're at. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Can't you can't grow it because Facebook has decided in their infinite wisdom that political content is. They don't want people reading about politics. I don't understand it. It, it, I I genuinely do not understand their thinking. It makes no sense.
0: Yeah, it doesn't make any sense, partly because I see all kinds of political content on Facebook that gets circulated. I mean, every goddamn day, or I should say every week, there's a new list of the top posts on Facebook pages, and they're all like either Dan Bongino or Ben Shapiro. I mean, I'm talking literally maybe nine out of the 10 are Trump supporters, and yet, at the same time, we experience this dynamic where you post something on Facebook, especially something that maybe, dare I say, mentions Facebook itself or Zuckerberg in a political context, that gets entirely buried. And it's got to be been a matter of paying for that kind of reach. I'm sure, like the Daily Wire, for example, or the Bongino people. I guess Bongino has people somehow. Uh, they pay for their reach, don't they?
1: Yeah, I, I think so. And I also think that that um from what I understand, Facebook weights the algorithm is weighted towards pieces that stir up emotion. Yeah. Right. You know what stirs up emotion better than right wing propaganda?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, is is as in what right wing propaganda, right wing quote unquote news is essentially it's clickbait. Um and clickbait works less than it used to, but it works quite well with right-wing audiences because, um, you know, let's let's not beat around the bush here. They're not quite as educated as um, as liberal audiences, right? So, so the you know the there the, are the, you know left-wing conspiracy theories are <clears throat> are real and they happen, and there's a lot of clickbait nonsense on you know um, on the on the left and in liberal kind of. Mm-hmm world right we've seen a lot of that but oh, wow. the qualitative difference between you know what what would be what we would regard as kind of clickbaity right and then you compare that with what you're seeing on from the right from Breitbart from all these other right-wing sites and AM hate radio where it's just kind of non-absolute gibberish and you think how does anyone with a brain cell not, like Read that and think that this is real. Think that this is, but there are genuinely people genuinely people who who swallow it, hook, line, and sinker. Yeah. So I think that there is a difference between right and left wing clickbait. And um, but yeah, again, Facebook is it's weighted like the algorithm favors that kind of content. You know, um, yeah. <clears throat> or any right wing website that you go on or Facebook page, it's just. It's, it's full of hatred and, you know, they I'll give it to them. They're passionate. They're passionate about their hatred, but, you know, it, it's not, it's not ethical. That's for sure. There's no reason behind it. I don't, I don't think Facebook is, Facebook is definitely not doing the right thing.
0: Well, it seems like the way the algorithm is set up, it actually kind of benefits people who game the algorithm. And you were mentioning uh, clickbait a second ago. I've noticed some opinion aggregators, uh, I'm not going to mention any names here, but on the left, for that matter, that still rake in traffic from Facebook. Uh, but the problem is they play fast and loose with the truth on top of being loaded with clickbait. I mean, uh, you know, the reputable publishers are completely unwilling to do that, and we end up getting screwed as a consequence of it, don't we?
1: Right. I mean, that was our whole mission statement. But remember, we're back in the day, you chairs and I, um, and the, and the rest of the gang yeah that was what we sort of did we spent all of our time beating back right-wing propaganda and misinformation mm-hmm. as best we could uh despite all of the the incentives to do otherwise despite the incentives to you know um, but i think that's also why people have were actually willing to pay to read us as well like mm-hmm. i don't think had we launched a, like a paid version of the site of the banter that anyone would have would have actually given us any money Mm. had we engaged in that kind of stuff. So, you know, I do like to think that by sticking to our, by being ethical, at least we have, you know, we have smart readers who really value our content, even though we are consistently screwed by Facebook and social media in general.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, the great irony is that they're using this uh, algorithm at Facebook. They're setting policy at Facebook to, prevent this kind of content from spreading, the the really incendiary, uh, sometimes radicalizing content. But at the same time, all they seem to be doing in reality is encouraging that sort of thing. It seems like every day we read another story about how Facebook is radicalizing people, whether it's uh, through the insurrection or with anti-vax things. And it seems like that kind of content is always rising to the surface, despite what Facebook says publicly, which indicates to me that maybe Facebook isn't doing such a good job of beating it down, or that it's actually encouraging it. And uh, going back to like Ben Shapiro, I remember reading about how, uh, you know, the Daily Wire doing all of these side deals with Facebook to allow them to break the same rules that get other people kicked off the platform,
1: right? And I, I think the only way to avoid this is so, like, like you said, Bob, like in your piece last week on the on the on the newsletter, is that they have to. It has to be regulated. It has to be regulated mm-hmm. um, by the government by an independent body. They can't. They certainly can't be trusted to self-regulate. Uh, number one. Number two. Uh, publishers. I don't know what the hell publishers are supposed. Reputable publishers are supposed to do anymore. Um, other than go to email, which is what we've done, which where the algorithm can't mess with, even we're still at the kind of you know we're still screwed by Facebook. We oh, still yeah. rely on Facebook to get to get traffic to expose people to the newsletter, and they we're still being screwed by them, but we're being screwed less because we're not so dependent. Our distribution method is is via email rather than via by any social media feed. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know what people are supposed to do. I, re- I really don't. Like, I, I think it's a really, publishers are in a real bind and, and um, you know, like people who actually spend a lot of time crafting quality content um, are just, yeah, they get they get screwed. It's not good for society either, right? It's not good for democracy, it's not good for society, it's not good for publishing, mm-hmm. you know, a bad company. Yeah. <laughs> Right.
0: Yeah. And people might ask, and I get this question occasionally, Ben, was, why are you busily chasing after Facebook? What's the appeal? Why do you need Facebook at all? And all you need to do is look at the numbers where traffic ends up coming from. Unfortunately... You know, we'd like to think, well, if we just uh, put all of our eggs in the Twitter basket, for example, then we'll get the same amount of traffic. Well, it doesn't work that way. For some reason, people click on things from Facebook way more often than they do on Twitter. Is that still a thing? Because I remember that's been a dynamic in the past. And I <laughs> admittedly haven't looked at my own numbers recently, as far as that goes. So I don't know, is is Facebook still like the golden ring? Is that the thing that we all are seeking out? Because it actually does generate more traffic than the other social media platforms?
1: Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the Twitter is you you read most people retweet things they haven't read. Yeah. Right. So so because I think the platform Kind of encourages this sort of short form interaction, mm-hmm. right? So you know you're not going to Facebook is it's slower. You're on there for longer. Um, you actually might <clears throat> read you know the posts are longer, so you'll kind of read more carefully what people are saying. You know, not all the time, but but, but at least more of the time than on Twitter. Yeah, uh, and, and then, so. I mean, this is. It's a, we. I spend a lot more. T- I have spent a lot more time on Twitter, right? But no matter how much time I have spend on Twitter, the majority of the traffic still comes from Facebook.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: That's just. That's just the reality of it. And um, you know, so just enough so that we have to pay attention to them just enough so that we have to, we have to stay on the, on the bloody platform.
0: You know, it seems like there are fewer and fewer platforms for promoting a site or a podcast for that matter. I mean, have you heard any encouraging news behind the scenes as far as some sort of thing to come along that would be, you know, maybe equivalent to the kind of traffic that Facebook used to generate, but is not Facebook.
1: You know what? The only platform that I have seen any genuine like any genuine hope for yeah. is it something called discord. I don't know how familiar you are with discord.
0: I've, I've heard of it. I, I'm not familiar with exactly what it is. So
1: discord is kind of interesting. Discord is, is like a kind of, I think it's like Slack, although I was never, I never really used Slack. Mm-hmm. It's basically a platform where you, you know, you sign up, you join and you can join these. Basically they're kind of like rooms, right. And they're just messenger rooms. Um, And there are these enormous communities that get built on, on discord uh, that you can go and participate in. Right. And you can chat to the owners, you can do, you can host audio um, uh, events uh, through discord. Uh, You can post links, you can post articles, you can, there's a whole load of things that you can do on, on discord that are quite interesting. Um, And, you know, I only sort of, found out about it because i was invited to a discord channel and hmm. i thought it was really interesting um <clears throat> and you can join lots of different rooms um so i definitely recommend you know people checking that out it doesn't work quite like facebook yeah but you can build communities there and it's there are there are no algorithms um it they are pro- they're basically private uh, that's the only thing that i've I've seen and I've experimented a lot more with with discord in recent time mm-hmm. um, and it's one where I would you know I would certainly think about you know putting some effort into that's my that that would be my that that's my analysis thus far all the other ones me we and ello and all that kind of stuff, I think they're kind of facebook knockoffs and they didn't they won't really catch on yeah but, um yeah the I think Discord is is really where it's at. It's kind of like Facebook groups, but Facebook groups again, like you're not, you know, whether you see what's happening in Facebook groups depends on face how Facebook is feeling that day. Oh, yeah. Does Facebook want you to see what's in Facebook groups that day? You know, maybe they do, maybe they don't. You know, mm. so, like that, that's the thing. So yeah, that's. Discord. That's that's what I think is a, is a good thing for publishers to, to invest time in.
0: It seems like uh, we talk a lot about uh, regulation. We're talking about the algorithm and so on, regulating that. But there is one other solution beyond either regulating it or getting people to leave Facebook or Facebook just shutting down entirely. There is kind of a fourth solution that I didn't mention in my piece last week, which is, some sort of thing to come along to replace Facebook. It's happened many times in the past, and all it takes is a little bit of innovation and a great idea. Uh, something brand new that maybe people haven't even thought about yet in terms of, because I don't think anyone thought of what Twitter was before Twitter. It's such an unusual platform for conversation. Uh, but with Facebook, it seems like there ought to be something to come along. Give it a serious run for its money. Uh, you know, uh, whether it's something Apple does or uh, there's got to be something that all at once does the things we want it to do and at the same time doesn't have all of the bullshit lumped on top of it, the data mining and the predatory behavior, and all the rest of it, uh, just, it's confounding that that hasn't happened yet. I,
1: I, yeah. And I, th- I think it, it, in, inevitably that will happen, yeah, right? There's yeah. going to be some, something that comes along where everyone just says, oh, okay. Yeah. This makes a lot more sense. And they just can, they go, I mean, this is why Facebook, you know, bought WhatsApp. This is why Facebook bought Instagram.
0: Mm.
1: <clears throat> they don't have any ideas themselves. It's a, you know, I think they, they're just trying to buy up the competition as fast as possible. Yeah. Um, you know, But I think that something will come along. It will be too nimble, too fast. People will adopt it very quickly, um, and and, and that will be it. Yeah.
0: You know, I was noticing today, uh, Ben, that 13 of the top 20 news shows on Apple Podcasts were all hosted by or are all hosted by Trump supporters or conservatives. Two of those 13 are Wall Street Journal podcasts. So that's where I put in the conservative category. Everything else, Trump supporters of those 13. I suspect there's a similar ratio for online publications. I mean, uh, granted, my observation is narrow, but why why does it seem as if liberals don't consume as much online media as Trumpers? Uh, otherwise, these numbers would be a little bit different. They'd be more skewed toward the left than they are to the right. You know what I mean?
1: So I think there's probably several reasons behind that, and some of some of which we've we've discussed, and the the, the, the fact that conservative content, at least in America, it's inherently disingenuous. It's inherently um, manipulative and not, you know, again, while they're a power that, you know, it's not to say that the left doesn't do this, but not to the same extent, not to the same extent, like the right-wing media, I mean, take, you know, Trump's, you know, January 6th Mm -hmm. uh, and the way that the right-wing media basically covered it for a few days and then said, right, we will need to move on. It wasn't actually that bad. Um, You know, this is a guy who instigated a coup. He tried to literally, literally like, end democracy in America via a violent coup, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, And the right-wing media just swept it under the carpet. And I think that this, basically, this, this fundamental dishonesty means that you are much freer than to create any kind of content you want. It's like Tucker Carlson. There was a fantastic piece on Tucker Carlson by, I think it was Alex Shepard in The New Republic. And he talked about how Tucker Carlson essentially found out that he, you know, he ran the Daily Call. Back in the day, the Daily Caller was actually reasonably kind of reputable, right? They took, um, you know, and Tucker Carlson spoke about this, about about wanting to have uh, a kind of an honest news company, right? Yeah. But, He quickly found out that nobody cared. Nobody gave a flying F-U-C-K about having honest news on the right. So he abandoned it. Um, And then, you know, Tucker Carlson was a complete failure. Everywhere he's been, he's been a failure. Until he became like a right-wing, you know, demagogue, right? But Until he became a, a, a kind of racist fascist. Right, so he knows his audience. He knows what you what to say in order to get the clicks, in order to get the views. Right, so his his entire life he's been searching for this one, you know, circus act. He's mm-hmm. found the circus act, right, which is be basically lying on a daily basis. Yeah, and he's the number one talk show host in America. He's the number one news um, show in America now. Mm-hmm. Right, Tucker Carlson is is the most, you know, he's he's untouchable. Right. Yeah. So, and I think this is sort of indicative of, or, or representative rather, of uh, right wing media as a whole, mm-hmm. where they there are there are it, it doesn't even bother self regulating. Like at least the left liberal media tries at least attempts to do. They do they attempt to do good journalism. You say CNN and Fox News are, you know, basically two two, I don't know, um, or both are just as bad as the other. Right? Mm-hmm. It's just not true. It's just not true. CNN at least takes itself seriously. CNN at least bothers to fact check, bothers to correct itself when it makes mistakes, bothers to not put racist, um, you know, uh, fear mongers like Tucker Carlson, uh, Mm. you know, on primetime shows, right? Yeah. So uh, that's, and that's, as as a result, I think that you're going to see the audience size just, yeah, there's just more people, like it's easier to generate, viewers if you if you have controversial content so and that that's the same podcast tv um the news you know
0: okay short break back with more ben cohen right after these words delve into the shadows of the mind with sleeping dogs a gripping murder mystery starring academy award winner russell crow now available on digital crow portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit SleepingDogsMovie.com slash to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's SleepingDogsMovie.com slash The Bob Seska Show! The needle I've been trying to thread for years, Ben, is... How do you present reputable content, whether it's articles, podcasts, what have you, and still generate those kind of downloads while avoiding the clickbait and bullshit and lies? That's a a difficult ask, I think. And maybe that's cynical of me to say that, but seems like the temptation is... that you get more warm bodies looking at your material if you're engaging in the bullshit uh, end arounds, the truth. You know, if if you're just feeding people bullshit, it seems like that gets the clicks. But how do you get people to click on things that are, you know, informative and based on factual reality? It seems like an uphill climb.
1: It's an uphill climb, right? I mean, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah. Just just like me, you there are days when you think like I don't I don't know what else I need to do here.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean in fact Stephanie Miller and I have this conversation all the time where we say, you know, look, we're grinding it out in the trenches of liberal conversation, and it would be very easy to make millions of dollars a year if we just sold out our values and became conservatives. And so many of the personalities that we know about, that we have name recognition of on the far right, are people who simply sold out their values and became conservatives. We, I've seen it all over the place when it comes to radio guys, too. Morning radio guys looking for a place that they can still talk on the radio, on broadcast radio. And the only outlet for that is to become an AM radio talk show screecher. And so that's an immensely frustrating aspect of all of this is, you know, maintaining a, a firm grasp on your values while at the same time trying to generate an audience.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that that's absolutely, um, you know, hundred percent correct. You know, I, if you don't uh, uh, stick to your guns on this, you become as bad as them.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah.
1: Right. You, you become uh, uh, about, uh, you know, and then once you, you wake up and then you're Tucker Carlson, <laughs> right, think about how that guy feels yeah. as as uh, you know what I mean, as, as a human being. Right, Tucker Carlson has to wake up every morning and realize that that's what his career has culminated in. Yeah, it culminated in him becoming a racist, right? Becoming a, a fear mongering racist demagogue, right? It, mm. it, it's and it's shameful, and I, I think there are no ways out of this other than to stick to your guns there's no other way you know we we have to keep doing what we're doing we have to like just accept the fact that you know you can't reach out to right-wing audiences they're too far gone Mm -hmm. right i don't i don't even know how you would begin to do that how do you begin even like you know how do you begin to even reach out to people who are stuck in that world stuck Mm -hmm. in that ecosystem of absolute insanity right and and yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, you could do clickbait. I mean, but, but the problem is, again, that that you end up becoming what you hate. You end yeah, up yeah. not telling the truth. You end up saying things that aren't that aren't real, that aren't... And then your audience, like anybody who's got half a brain will see through it and they, they're not going to stick around,
0: mm-hmm. you know? Uh,
1: and then you have... A, all you have is a clickbait machine, which is basically what BuzzFeed was. BuzzFeed just became... But then you look what they did. BuzzFeed... Feed, Invested millions and millions into having real reporters, investigative journalists, come on board to revive the brand.
0: Yeah,
1: and I don't even know how profitable that is. I really don't. Maybe it's I don't. I don't. You know, I don't, I, I'm sure they don't make. I'm sure their news section isn't that profitable. Yeah, right. Yeah, that, I, I would guess that that it's not anywhere near as profitable as all the celebrity stuff that they do or the video stuff that they do. Mm-hmm. You know, they. You know, so that's why we are basically. We're reliant on our subscribers.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's the pisser of it too, Ben. Like with BuzzFeed as an example, that they have to engage in all the clickbait bullshit, you know, with the listicles and all the rest of it, in order to finance the journalism side. You know, because the journalism side isn't generating the revenue. It's almost like um, Edward R. Murrow used to have to do, like, ridiculous celebrity interviews so he could do... The really hard hitting stuff, you know what I mean? <laughs> and that was the only way to make it financially feasible, which is just, you know, I, I look at this from an idealistic point of view and I go, oh, why does it have to be that way? But it just it just is. And
1: it just is. But like, you know, I think like for example, you know, your podcast and 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 what we do at the banter, I like to think that it's pretty good, it's entertaining yeah. as well, you know, like there's some personality there. Mm-hmm. You know, that people people will check in and read us because they, you know, it's not like reading, I don't know, ProPublica or like reading, or reading the BBC, right? You know, there's, there's some, there's some personality behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, that that's, that's what differentiates us and that's what I do think that that's what gives us kind of a loyal, a loyal such a loyal audience as we have.
0: Well, One of the things that has blown me away, uh, something I learned about in the past year or two that I wasn't aware of prior was, uh, buying downloads, buying shares, buying retweets and likes and follows, where there is now an industry that has built up online, where you can uh, buy your internet reach, you can buy your social media reach, and Prior to hearing about this, I was aware of the fact that conservatives often would bulk have their books, have their publications bulk purchased by financiers, and then that would elevate their status on the New York Times bestseller list, certainly on the Amazon list and some of the other uh, online bestseller lists. That, of course, is immensely unfair. It's absolutely cheating. Uh, it's almost like steroids for online media. I uh, Think about steroids in sports. Well, this is like steroids in online publishing when people can just go and and buy their visibility. And I sometimes look at people like Ben Shapiro or Dan Bongino or even Steven Crowder and wonder, where do they get this popularity? Where do they get this visibility? And I'm like, oh, it could be that they're buying their reach. Now, I don't know. I don't have any facts along those lines. I don't know exactly that they're doing that, but this is something that conservatives have done in the past. And so I have to kind of look at them with a little bit of a side eye. When 13, as I said before, 13 of the top 20 news shows on Apple Podcasts are Trump supporters, I wonder where's that coming from. And then I do a search on podcasts, buying podcast downloads, and sure as shit, there's a website out there where you can buy downloads for your podcast and buy the hundreds, if not thousands. And it's relatively inexpensive. That kind of shit goes on. I mean, does that, does that ever make you want to just hang it up and go, you know, how the hell do I compete against this now?
1: Yeah. You just, right. Of course, you know, of course it does. And and it means that those, again, that those with more money, those with big, big pockets, deep pockets, they have a leg up. Yeah. Right. It's, and the the small independent media publishers are just left you know to fend for themselves mm. uh without being able to do any of this stuff i mean it, it, you know and it's 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 certainly in, it's unfair it's inherently unfair
0: yeah
1: um and it's and it makes me in sometimes hate the publishing industry i absolutely hate it you know and i i obviously love what i do but i don't like the industry that i work in you know i think yeah. that it's it there are the priorities are completely backwards. The internet has done you know, it's been amazing and terrible at the same time. It's, right. been, it's been like so many challenges, and it's dominated by all the big tech companies, by Facebook, by Apple. By you know, so for example, in the newsletter, Apple has just decided that they are going to block. You know there there are ways to find out how many people have read like emails, for example. So we send mm-hmm. an email our email newsletter out. We can see you know how many people have opened it. Apple just decided we're gonna stop that. Yeah. Right? I get it, I get it. There are privacy issues, but I think that people should be able to opt in or out mm-hmm. of that. Um if you don't want some, you know, there are ways you can do you can do that. Uh, but Apple just made a decision to essentially wreck uh newsletter publishers ability to know who's whether anybody's reading their (laughs) reading
0: their jesus
1: right so it's just an it's just another another kind of like you know another big tech decision that uh, what this will do is that you know we don't have the money for example we don't have the money to innovate our way out of that yeah yeah We, we we innovation for us is basically you know just working as hard as we can to make as good content as we can. That That's it. That's the game that we have. That's the only thing that we can do is keep creating good content and yeah. hope that people see it and read it and hear it uh, and that they they support us. That That's it. That's what we've got left.
0: You know, one of the things I grapple with in this story about Apple uh, certainly contributes to uh, my view that uh, when we're dealing with third party platforms like Substack, for example, uh, Patreon, in, in my case, knowing that it's ultimately their turf. Ultimately, we're at the mercy of these third parties, Facebook, et cetera. Is that ever a concern for you in terms of the business model with the banter? I mean, I think about this every damn day, <laughs> that ultimately uh, my income, 99% of it comes through our Patreon page, and, mm. but Patreon could disappear at any day. And I'd be completely screwed with my pants on. Does that ever factor into your planning and uh, your sense of security with uh, building your business uh, using a, a platform like Substack?
1: Yeah, it, it does. I mean, the, the, the thing about Substack, I quite like about Substack, is that I, I own all of the data. So yeah. I can take all of the subscribers and go somewhere. There are other competitors to Substack, so I'm... I'm able and i wouldn't sign up for a company wouldn't a platform that wouldn't allow me to do that so yeah. i am able to take them all uh and go somewhere else um you know but yeah of course you know you're you're dependent on te- on this technology that's owned you know by venture capitalists right to reach your audience and they can take it away what they give they can take yeah you know um so i but 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 i'm only interested really in in um that's why I moved to Substack because I thought, okay, look, they, they can't, they can't take this. They can't take it away from me. They can't stop me sending emails. Right. 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 I mean, Apple's doing their bit now, but generally speaking, like they can't stop me sending emails. Uh, It's the oldest technology on the web, right. Email. I mean, it's the original way of like reaching people. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that's the right. And, and I, I can take all of my, subscribers away all the banter subscribers that we have we can go somewhere i can go somewhere else right to another platform and plug and play straight away
0: Ah, oh, uh, that's great yeah
1: won't, won't know any different mm. so that's really the only you know that's that that's it was i had a huge even though it really hurt us when we moved right it was very difficult we have we, we don't run any ads on this on on the newsletter so we have we have zero ad revenue it's all subscriber revenue uh so you know, that was very, very painful, but there was a bit of a relief, but it's like, okay, they can't really take any more from me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like I've just had years and years and years, we had years of it, years and years and years of being screwed by Facebook. <laughs> yeah, Screwed by, screwed by um, you know, uh, we got, who did we get screwed by? We got screwed by a paywall company. They just decided, right, we're going to put our, our, our um, percentage up. We're gonna we're gonna increase our um, revenue share. Oh right, right, right. Yeah, decided right. And and but I couldn't move the the subscribers off because they were signed up through PayPal and there were all these problems with it. It was you know it was terrible. It was a, what a, what an awful you know. But so finally moving to Substack. Like, okay, they cannot touch this. They cannot. Yeah. yeah. Everyone signs up. It goes through Stripe. Stripe is weak. the banter, like that, that's our information. No one can take that away from us. Mm-hmm. So I feel hugely, even though it's really difficult and we've lost a lot of our revenue, you know, it's better than the alternative.
0: Yeah. And you probably know there was a controversy maybe earlier in the summer, earlier this year about Substack paying substantial advances to certain publishers. What was your uh, take on all of that?
1: I mean, I get it. I get why they did that. I get why subs, you know, they had to get, um, they had some VC money. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is a way of competing with the, with the, the, the the big boys, I guess they, they're a full on media company now. Yeah. Uh, it does feel kind of, kind of sucks a bit. It's like, okay, we're a mid sized publisher. We we need help too. Um, be nice if somebody invested in us as well. Um, uh, we have a proven track record, but yeah. again, no, you know, it's, it, that's okay. It's, I, I see what they are doing. I'd rather Substack was successful and kept pour, putting money into innovation and making the platform better mm. than not. So I wasn't too upset by that. Yeah, uh, I thought that was, it was, you know, wasn't too bad, but yeah. I mean, generally speaking, I think Substack is a decent company.
0: What kind of conditions would have to fall into place for the dailybanter.com to come back as, a, uh, as an active website? Uh, is, is group logs ever going to, you know, kind of swing back around and become trendy again? Or is it kind of that day has passed? You know
1: what? I think maybe at least for now, that day is. Past, you never know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, swings and roundabouts. Who knew that email was going to be the <laughs>
0: <laughs> right and gifts? It was like I remember yeah. in the '90s, first starting on the internet, and it was all about email newsletters and gifts. And now right. it's like everything is gifts and email newsletters. Twenty years later, th- well yeah, more like twenty-five years later. It's amazing.
1: So yeah, who who knows? I mean, who knows? I mean, that the, the, the There are some interesting developments happening in that world um, with, particularly with advertising, Mm. for example, um, and the way that that's the game is changing completely. Uh, But the deal would have to be, you know, basically what we saw was advertising companies, just the slow erosion of ad rates over time Uh, from Facebook, also from other ad networks. The ad game is a complete mess. Mm-hmm. An unregulated disaster. Uh, and I'm glad, very glad not to have to participate in that anymore. Right. I th- think it's getting better. Um y- you know, but for it to happen, for us to do that, it would there'd have to be a lot of changes in the industry for, mm-hmm. for, for that to happen. Yeah. I mean, it was great, you know, writing for the banter was great fun I Yeah, mean, we just we talked shit all week, Bob, didn't we? That's what we did.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think we had such a great dynamic uh, between you and me and Chez. And then there was a, a great attitude about it that I don't think was uh, duplicated anywhere else. I think we had a unique view on everything that set us apart.
1: Yeah, I I think so. You know, I yeah. I think so. I think it, it lives on in your pop, podcast. I think it lives on in the Banton newsletter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's never going to be, you know, I don't think yeah replicating that again is 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 uh no one could do no one could do what we did
0: yeah yeah and yeah obviously you found some great writers as far as uh the newsletter goes with justin rosario uh, contributing he's uh i mean talk about someone who uh i mean no one can fill Ches's shoes but justin steps in and, and and fills a gap i think in uh in terms of style and approach that maybe you and i don't have that, that i think rounds out the uh, personalities on the newsletter really well
1: yeah I think so yeah. I think so it's great fun reading really. when yeah. Justin goes on like, I have to I have to talk with Justin every week I'm like justin this is too angry we need to turn this down
0: <laughs> <All> right yeah <laughs> And, you know, um, one of the things that, uh, you've written about, uh, in the recent past has been psychedelics. How did you end up, um, sort of stepping into that entire universe? Uh, was there, I think you took a trip to South America at some point. Uh, Tell me about all of that.
1: Oh yeah. I went down to Peru in, um, 2015 Mm -hmm. and did four ayahuasca, um, ceremonies. God knows why I did that. Um, (laughs) I, people ask me, why did I do that? And I, I genuinely don't know. I genuinely couldn't tell you yeah. why that appealed to me, but it did. Mm-hmm. It really did appear. I don't know why I'd never taken any psychedelics in my life. I'd never done, I never smoked weed. I never smoked cigarettes, uh, never took LSD, never did and literally nothing yeah. as, as a teenager. You know, I drank beer as most kids do in the UK. <laughs> and very cheap liquor um but that was it i don't know i just decided to it was fascinating and i went down to try it out and it was absolutely terrifying um <laughs> what was absolutely- it describe
0: the experience so and, and what uh hallucinogen or what psychedelic uh, you guys were using at that point in time and then what did you see what did you feel
1: so I wait. I um. I don't have you. Do you have any experience? I don't know if you want to divulge this. No, no. I, I
0: actually don't. I I've smoked uh, plenty of pot for sure. I've I've drank, uh, but that's the kind of the extent for me. I mean, I had some speed in college. <laughs> right. I sound so lame, uh, uh, but yeah, that's. I mean, that's really the uh, the spectrum of things meat. that I've taken. Yeah.
1: More adventurous than me. That's way more adventurous <laughs> than me. Um, so no, I so I went down to the jungle and did the most potent psychedelic brew known to man. Wow. Uh, I mean, it, it is. It's incredibly powerful ayahuasca. Like I cannot, I can't even convey like that how extreme the experience is mm. of, um, like, uh, when drinking ayahuasca. It's got a substance called dimethyltryptamine, in it, which is DMT. And DMT is the most potent psychedelic compound known to man. Wow! Um, And my experience of it was to be blasted into a completely separate reality. Um, You know, shocking. I was shocked to say the least. I, I, you know, there are no other words to describe it other than profound shock at being in one place, um, ingesting this kind of what looked like brown sludge um with uh some indigenous um peruvians in a in a in a kind of a in a tent in the middle of the rainforest um and then being blasted into a into a what appeared to be a different reality uh it was absolutely frightening.
0: So um, what what distinguished the separate reality from our actual reality? I mean what were you seeing?
1: So well the first thing that I saw was um it's going to sound very strange, but the first thing that I saw was what appeared to me to look like an alien. <laughs> um, so, which obviously I hadn't really been prepared for that uh, to to go to see animal. an alien. No,
0: I can imagine. I'm in the oh. Peruvian rainforest, and there's an alien standing there in front of me now. Yeah,
1: there's an alien in front of me with with a, with what looked like a huge probe on its arm. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And so at that point I started to f- kind of freak out and bang on the floor and hope that someone was going to come. There were helpers there as well. There were Western helpers. So I was banging on the floor to like get someone to help me. But then it's so strong that you, it was sort of, I was going in and out of two different, like this reality and wherever else I was in. Mm-hmm. That I don't, I don't know what that was. Um, but yeah, I just disappeared into this other realm, and there was an alien in front of me. And then I experienced this alien going through my spine. I could see through the probe into my spine, um, and I could see all these p- pain points on my spine. That I so I have like I have a condition called fibromyalgia, which is like a, a pretty bad pain condition. Yeah, I've heard about that. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's pretty bad. Like when the weather changes, and there's you know. Certain, I don't know, food substances can trigger it and things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Uh, I have, mig- I get migraines as well. Um, but whatever this was, it appeared to, it appeared to know that, um, and then pinpoint these incredibly, these points on my spine um, that were related to this migraines and whatever condition I had, fibromyalgia, mm. uh, and then it began to like. They dismantle my perspective on reality. So I felt that I saw all these pain points like lighting up. Um, and this alien kind of just in looking at me as they were like, then there were more aliens, there were like two or three aliens, and they were looking at me like, okay, here's another one. Um, what's this? What's he doing here? Let's put him on the table and have a, and have a look at him. Wow. Um, Uh, Yeah. And, and uh, then it proceeded to all I can, the the next five hours was me fighting tooth and nail to stop this from happening. I just could not, I could not accept what was happening. I was like, this is not happening. There's no way that this is possible that this is happening. And this is way too personal. I thought I was just coming down to have a kind of, you know, it would be a bit like, I don't know. I don't even know what I thought it would be like, but not like that.
0: Do you still grapple with that, like remembering what you were seeing and wondering, was I just hallucinating this or was I seeing into a different dimension of reality? I mean, that would be the thing that would plague me for the rest of my life. I would constantly be second guessing what I saw for good or bad, positive or negative, because one part of me would be going maybe I saw something real. Maybe this particular psychedelic, maybe the DMT caused me to see into another dimension. Maybe that's really how things work. Has that been a point of, uh, of thought for you since then?
1: Yes, yes, I th- I think so, you know, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, uh, the, 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 the thing is, is that that reality was more real than this reality. And that's the worst thing about it, right? Holy was shit. That it, was, it was infinitely more real than this reality. So it was sort of like, I'd been almost, you know, like the movie Avatar, right? Yeah. Yeah. Avatar's kind of like, it was sort of that concept that I'm in an avatar right now, Mm -hmm. but my real self exists somewhere else. And I went there. Yeah. With, on Ayahuasca. Like I, that's where I went back. I went back to, I got a glimpse of like where the real me resides and it's not here. (laughs) It's somewhere else. Um, And, it just went on for hours and hours and hours and hours, and I just thought this, this, this is never going to end. And it just, yeah. it, like, I felt like I was being tortured,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, tortured and tortured and tortured until I gave in. Yeah. So I quit. At one point, I just like, I just, I was like, okay, I think I'm dead. Um, uh, I, I, I had, to, I had to literally accept my own death where I thought, okay, I've, I've fought as hard as I can. Um, I can't fight any longer. Uh, I guess I'm dead. And I'm going back to wherever I came from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, as, and as soon as I did that, the experience became, it was way, it was much, much, uh, it was like someone had lifted a weight off my chest and I yeah. had like let go of like, you know, 10 years of anxiety or emotions and anger and things like that. Um, when I felt this sort of sense that there was some kind of whatever it was, was just kind of saying to me, okay, there you go. You little monkey Um, boy. um, You've uh, uh, you know, part of the whole ayahuasca experience is doing something called purging. Right. So you kind Hmm. of like vomit. Right. So you, you vomit out, but it's not necessarily. There's no necessarily substance there. Yeah. So I vomited into a bucket all night, but there was barely anything in the bucket after I'd finished. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what I was vomiting, but it it was maybe they say that it's bad energy or negative emotions that you've carried for a long time, uh, and that's what it felt like. It felt like I had just yeah, I'd released like years and years and years of anger and things like that that I hadn't realized I'd been holding on to and that I'd accepted that I wasn't really in control of much and that like reality and was a far more complex than I had ever imagined uh and that there wasn't really much I could just I had just to sit back and enjoy the show rather than try to wrap my monkey mind around it yeah yeah that, that humans are basically we know very little we think we know a lot about what's happening but we don't we don't know much at all
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that's yeah that was my experience of it and the shaman who were there the indigenous people there they seem to be completely they thought it was all very normal
0: it's amazing to hear you describe your reaction because it would have been the same reaction i would have had i i would have fought it i don't know what that says about my character or your character but i feel as though um i would be so uncomfortable Because my brain would be so conflicted and so blown away by that experience that I would want it to end as quickly as possible. And while I've never done any psychedelics, I had one really terrible experience with uh, pot one night and I got so high that I was having these anxiety attacks. I was actually waffling back and forth between euphoria and utter sheer terror, like I was about to die. And it was so miserable and uncomfortable. Obviously, it was nice when the euphoria would wash over me. But then when the other thing would uh, would appear, and it was just back and forth and back and forth between those two extremes. I just wanted it to be over. I couldn't wait for it to be over. Okay, I'm done with this experience. I've lived it enough to be able to tell the story. Now, please be over soon. And uh, it sounds like that was the exact same experience you had. But Um, At the same time, would you recommend that other people try this and to see if they have some of the positive outcomes that you had?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I would say that if what I'm saying, if any of it rings true or resonates with you in any way, then it might be worth looking into. If your immediate reaction is... What the fuck? That is insane. Uh, you're crazy. Good job. Like, no, thanks for thanks for coming back and telling us all about it. But that's a, you know, thanks but no thanks. Then it's not for you. You yeah. know, like it, it's interesting the reaction that people have had when I've told them about it because it's it's about I would say about twenty percent of people become interested and they're like, hmm, that's interesting. I'd like to find out more about that. Mm and all the stuff about purging and seeing aliens doesn't really seem to bother them. They're like, it, they, it piques their interest. You know, they, they, yeah. they, uh, they become more sort of, they're like, Oh, I need to look into this. What is this? Mm-hmm. Um, and the rest of them just think I'm crazy. Um, and that I just was hallucinating and there's, you know, there's nothing more to be said about it and it's all very scary. And yeah, I, I respect both. You know, I yeah. would say that again, if it resonates with you, then look into it more. Um, if anybody wants to get in touch with me, I'm happy to chat more about it, uh, yep. but there's a lot of information out on, 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 on the web about, about it. But yeah, for me, it was hugely beneficial overall. Definitely scary. Definitely took me, it's taken me a quite a long time to integrate it and to try to figure out what has happened. Yeah. Um, you know,
0: uh, have you had any, you know, any flashbacks? Have you seen that alien yes. again?
1: No, no, but I've done other cycles. Psych- I had a, three more ayahuasca ceremonies after that. That was just the first oh, one. I oh, my three, God.
0: Three, okay. Three more.
1: Yeah, scary. Um, really scar- scary. scary
0: every time. It doesn't get less scary.
1: It, the, the third one was less scary because I, I'd kind of, like, come to terms with it. And I okay. was just like, okay, I can't really control it. But, the you know, and I've gone back and done other things that have been less extreme, but, it, you know, some very challenging times like i don't view it. it's not a fun time you know it's these are regarded as medicine in 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 the, in the amazon mm-hmm. rainforest and that's how i regard them as medicine
0: yeah
1: um for psychological and you know some physical ailments things like that that's where, how it's reviewed on in in the rainforest so that's how i view it i who knows why i'm interested in this stuff i can't explain to you i've got no background in it my parents think i'm crazy Oh,
0: you you told your parents? uh, You told your folks? What what was their reaction? What did What did your dad say?
1: I mean, yeah, he just said, "Oh, yeah, hmm, that sounds that doesn't sound like much fun," and that was about the end of the conversation.
0: (laughs) Such a such a Um, British reaction, I think.
1: Right, right, exactly. You know, so (laughs) so who you know, (laughs) not really. um, Didn't get much much support for my family they just thought I was they'd like okay he's gone off to do psychedelics in the rainforest um, don't really know how to there was what's not in their kind of paradigm it's not within yeah. their kind of re, there's no they have no reference point they nothing to go on to even relate to me you know and I get I understand that I, I understand that. I, I, I sympathize Um. so but you know look it was I found it immensely helpful I have I think I have integrated it and I've come to terms with the fact that I had no idea what happened Mm -hmm. uh, or how it can be explained. Deep down, I think that these substances that we are, our brains run on chemicals. And if you change those chemicals, what we see is different and no less real than this real. It's just different. It's just a different interpretation of what we're seeing now. I think that's my view on it. And there's a whole other kind of reality and way of... Organising reality that other cultures have you know a lot more experience than we do and they're fine with it you know they call it the spirit world i whatever you want to call it i don't care what you call it but i think that it's equally as real um mm. but i think that it doesn't mean that i think that this reality is not real mm. like this is all real too yeah you know, it's all real it's just different you know it's like someone sw- switches out the um the operating board you know um and you see something different. You know, like a bat would see yeah. things. Yeah, a bat would experience reality very differently than we would, right? It everything yeah. is it builds an image of reality through sonar. Um so likewise, <laughs> you know, you take a hallucinogen, you you're seeing something it's it's not necessarily not real, it's yeah. just not. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I would absolutely insist that I was looking into the multiverse or something like, uh, yeah, I'm just seeing these are other dimensions layered on top of ours. And so that's how it goes. That's the way the universe is built. And here we are. <laughs> so that would be my yeah. preference. But I know that it would freak me the fuck out. And the the other thing, Ben, is how did we never have this conversation with Ches? I
1: talked to him about this once and he was very blase about the whole thing. He was like, really? oh, yeah. Yeah. He didn't really seem to be all that. So way. that's like
0: a Tuesday for me. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that was like Chess's. Yeah, that was after his morning coffee or something. That's what it
0: was. <laughs> 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 Oh, man. Uh, Okay, well, the newsletter is called thebanter.substack.com. Link in the description at bobseska.com, of course, right under this podcast. And of course, speaking of podcasts, uh, the banter podcast continues on. We record between uh, me and Ben and Justin Rosario every Thursday and the show goes up on Fridays. And then of course, uh, full disclosure, I publish an article on the banter every Thursday morning. Meantime, make sure to follow Ben at uh, the daily banter on Twitter. Okay, well, thank you so much, my friend, for supporting my work all these years. It's meant the world to me. I can't tell you how grateful I am. So, thank you again.
1: Back, back at you, my friend. I, you know, likewise. Um, yeah, appreciate it, man. And, and thanks for having me on. It's been a lot of fun.